This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God. And today we are looking at Matthew 23. We are getting into the end of Matthew, and we've got like three more chapters. Did I say 23? 26. Yeah, I was about to say it's 26. 26. Three points off. Right, uh, chapters <laughs> off. And uh, 26 is, uh, we're, we're getting away from all of Christ's uh, metaphors. And, um, and, and we're going to see a rapid uh, series of events as Christ um, goes through uh, Passover and ends up on the cross. And so uh, Matthew, but let's back up just a little bit. Um, Matthew's purpose in writing this book is to uh, preach to a Jewish population. We can tell that really e easily through context. And we can assume that Matthew's ministry was to Jews. And Matthew, I assume, after years of preaching, because he wrote this book later on in his ministry, uh, his big point is that Christ is king. Christ is the Son of Man who uh, is prophesied in Daniel. He is the Messiah that is going to come to free the Jewish people. And the Jewish people are, are expecting this Messiah. This is, this is the center point of their faith. And they are expecting him to be a ruling conqueror who's going to uh, conquer the whole world and put them in charge of everybody else. They're going to be the new ruling elite. And uh, that's the uh, uh, heavenly future that they are hoping for. So they're all looking for a military leader to, to come and make that happen. And Matthew is trying to convince them that Christ is the king and that their perception of the Son of Man is a little flawed and that he is a God of love and uh, he fulfills all of the um, uh, prophecy that, that leads to him. So when you read Matthew, you, all, all, every illustration, every metaphor, it's all directed toward that point uh, for that audience. And that comes out really strongly in chapter 26. And as we look at each one of these segments, we need to uh, kind of keep that in mind. So... Um, Let's begin at chapter uh, 26, verse 1, and read through verse 5. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, and he's referring to the metaphors in uh, chapter 25, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. <clears throat> then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So the priests are planning an assassination. They're such good religious leaders. Oh, yeah, isn't, it, isn't it great when religious leaders are plotting murders and have to have meetings to make this happen? It's actually funny that you say that. I actually remember uh, 
I forgot his name, Dr. George Orway, I think his name, where he was a theologian convicted of hiring a hitman. Yeah. Wow. I remember that. Yeah, like, that, I thought that kind of reminds me of that. Like, wow. Like, wow, that's a good religious man right there. <laughs> Just plotting assassination. Keep talking, I'm eating a donut. <laughs> and, uh, like, I say, hey, bro, I don't like this guy. Here's some money. Now go, now go take care of him. Oh, oh, Can't trust a priest, I guess. That's a, let's, let's make that one of our doctrines here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Caiaphas, the, the, what we know about him is that he was uh, the high priest at the time and the son-in-law of Annas, a former high priest, Anas, and it, I don't know, Ann, I don't know how you pronounce his name, but uh, basically we have the high priest and he is trying to figure out how we can condemn Jesus and um, they're all making suggestions because they really don't have a charge that they can bring against him. And they can't kill him anyway. What they need to do is convince the Romans to kill him. You would think that it would not be hard to convince the Romans to kill someone. They, they were pretty good about killing just people randomly as they walked down the road. Uh, so uh, they needed to bring a charge against him that would uh, work with the Romans in saying that uh, he's challenging our religious authority is not something that the Romans would care the least bit about. And so they needed to show that he is treasonous, that he is challenging Roman authority. And if they can show that, then that's enough to get him on the cross. You know? So uh, not only do they want him killed, but they want him to control when he's going to be killed because they don't want to attract any attention to it during the during the feasting of the, of the Passover and uh, because that would be kind of rude to have executions in the middle of the Passover you, you don't want executions on Christmas morning it's just wrong yeah it's like yeah. like imagine trying to eat some delicious ham yeah, yeah. and some some delicious yeah jerky or you, you want to whatever you, you want to schedule the ugly stuff for later and out yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like you don't want to see all the gore in, no. out your window. No, you don't. No, you don't. So, so that's that's what they're. they're so that's their plan. Uh, so, verse six through thirteen. While Jesus was in Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which he poured in his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Oh, they're so sanctimonious. <laughs> Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always be with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume in my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Okay, Bethany is outside of Jerusalem. It's where he's been staying um, while he's uh, been here this trip. And we've, re that we've referred to Bethany two or three times. Simon the leper. <clears throat> Okay, a leper would not be living in Bethany. A leper would be living outside of the city somewhere else in a leper colony somewhere. 
we assume that Simon the leper is a healed leper that Christ healed and he is evidently the head of his household but because he had that wonderful nickname Simon the leper they're still calling him Simon the leper even though he is no longer leprous so he's in the home of Simon the leper and a woman comes to him with perfume and in one of the other gospels tell me which one it is you know which one it is I think it's in the gospel of Luke sounds good uh, we establish this as being Mary, or at least one of the Marys. And uh, I've heard it called Mary Magdalene, but I, you know, but that would imply that Mary Magdalene is part of Simon the Leper's household, would it not? Because why would she be there in Simon the Leper's home otherwise? So maybe Simon is Mary's brother, perhaps? And we can also assume that they are wealthy because we have Christ and his entire 12 man plus entourage with him. You know, I could not personally house 12 people in my house right now, you know. I could not either. Unless they all slept uncomfortably on the floor. Yeah. It's like, here, welcome, guest. Here, well, I, we don't have any beds, unfortunately. So sure. You have to sleep on yeah, the I have a limited floor. number of bodies that I can sleep at one time in my home. Anyway, so we assume that they have enough home to accommodate that kind of a party. Uh, and so, but all of that is inference and not biblical and honestly, not very important, you know. So, so we have Mary and she has uh, used very expensive perfume. And uh, it is also established in another gospel that this perfume is what is used in burial rites. Uh, it's highly expensive, and uh, th th they use it for uh, anointing kings as well. Interesting that it has those two traditions. So, so Matthew is showing Christ being anointed as king and the sacrifice. So he's being anointed as a, for his burial as well. <clears throat> it has a double meaning. And uh, when Christ is resurrected later, uh, he, there, there were, he, he was found by women who were coming to anoint his body as for his burial, but he had already risen at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, so his body is never anointed for burial after its death. This is Christ's burial anointment. So that, it, it has all kinds of symbolism in there as well. Now, we have the disciples being all fussy about how we're spending our money. I can't imagine that church leadership would ever sit in a room <laughs> and argue sometimes for two hours over how to spend our money. Huh? What? What? <laughs> you think it happens? Okay, maybe once or twice. That's how. <laughs> once or twice. Once or twice. Like, like, don't spend it on this. Spend it on this. Yeah, yeah, sure. Do we really need to start that building program now? Do we need to hire a new minister? Can't we just let the, the, the deacon keep teaching it for free forever? That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Lance is listening. Anyway. <laughs> um. Yeah, so obviously they are trying to get you know their two cents in because they're seeing their limited resources suddenly disappear. Yeah. 
and uh, you know, and um, it seems wasteful. And Christ says, you know, the poor will always be with you. That that's sad. We can't fix that problem. Surely, in all of our modern uh, amazingness, we can just solve the problem of the poor. Yeah, just print all the money. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hey, we're doing that now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, That's how awesome. you get rid of more. Just print out more money and throw it at people. Or maybe yeah. we could, maybe we could like create a minimum income and just give people a minimum income, and and then we could. I'll never love that. And then we could tax everyone, you know, ninety percent of their regular income, and then we could redistribute it to everyone. Communism. We need communism. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. Or socialism. We definitely need. No, that. no, we need, we need to go the full. You gotta go the yeah, full way. Yeah, that's you know what? Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> okay. Anyway, enough, a, enough of that. Uh, Christ chastises them because what she is doing is significant to the symbolism of what he's going through. It's part of this process, and his body needs to be anointed and, 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 and um, dedicated to God, which is what anointment means. And so this process happens, and it's, you know, and, and, and they still don't quite understand it. And Matthew wants us to see her anointing him as king, which is what, which is what this is. Uh, so, Verse 14, Judas agrees to betray Christ. Then one of the twelve, one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. How much do you think that would be? The 30, 30 pieces of silver? Uh, I heard it once described as a year's wages, which, according to modern index in America, would be yeah. something along the lines of $30,000. I was thinking along those same lines. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, it was not insignificant. Um, I didn't think it would be. <clears throat> I think that the 30 pieces of silver, if I'm not mistaken, was the average cost of a slave in that time. Isn't that, that what yes, that was? Like yeah. That. So th there is significance to the number, but I think they pulled the number because th they were used to that number. You know, if we're going to give a big bribe or buy a slave, this is how much we spend for it. You know? yeah. And so he takes the 30 pieces of silver. Um, Matthew puts his betrayal right here at the Lord's Supper. I have discovered in my wise and extended life that things just don't happen out of the blue. Your friends do not betray you suddenly and instantaneously at the crux of a moment. They Something builds up to that. There are little arguments along the way. There are small betrayals that get bigger. Things have to build up. And I, I know it doesn't say this in the gospel, but I think Judas 
has been talking to those Pharisees for some time. I think Judas, this is Gospel of Kevin now, uh, I think Judas, after Christ fed the 5,000, and, uh, and, and he was ushering the Pharisees who were challenging him out of the, out of the way, said, you know, we'll, we'll talk later. We'll talk later. I understand your concern. You know, they're bending his ear about Christ being uh, uh, rebellious against the church and how Christ can't possibly well, be the, the church, Messiah. The well, well, the temple. And, uh, and, and so it, 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 they're not just challenging Christ head on. There's a whole onslaught against all of his disciples, too. If they're saying that to Christ, they're saying lots to everybody else. And they're running interference for him, just like certain trustees might be getting their ear bent by people so that the pastor doesn't have to listen to you. <laughs> you know, that, that, that happens. And so there, you know, he's in that position. So people are coming to him because he's a lot safer than going straight to Christ. Who, shut, who shuts them down instantly, you know. <clears throat> they're trying to get their way. They're, they're, they're looking for this political end. Well, Judas would really prefer that Christ was the big conquering king, and he really wants to be, I don't know, governor of Assyria someday, and he's hoping that the Messiah will put him there. Uh, he's, he, he has ambitions that go beyond any kind of spiritual uh, uh, level, and so... He's, he, he wants what they want, too. And so he's disappointed. He sees now that Christ is going to die, because Christ has told him six times at this point he's going to. Well, if he's going to die, how is he going to end up being governor of Assyria? You know? Uh, so he, he, his career plans have been crushed. So maybe he didn't know, he, he didn't believe who God was. Are you sure it's not due to the coronavirus back then? That's oh, please. Yeah, I'm, just I'm just messing around. I toyed with that notion, Lester, that he was just misunderstood, that he just was just confused, and I talked myself out of it. I don't think he was confused. I think he knew who Christ was. He was one of the 12. He's, 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 he's been in every room where Christ taught what, who he was over and over again, he was studied. He was uh, a rebel. I, you know, he, he, you got to study to be a good rebel. Yeah. And so I think Judas knew exactly who Christ was and exactly what Christ was saying and exactly what Christ was going to do and what that meant. But he was mad about it because he wanted it to be the way he wanted it to be. He wanted to impose his will of what the, the Son of Man should be to the people of Israel. Uh, I think it was rebellion. It was, it was genuine rebellion. Uh, there have been lots of people to make the argument that Judas is misunderstood or that Judas misunderstood. And I don't think either is the case. You know, I think he was absolutely the traitor that Scripture says he was. Um, and so, and I don't think it happened right then, immediately prior to the Lord's Supper. I think Judas had contacts. I oh, think he was talking to uh, the temple. Uh, I think they knew that he was ready to turn. I think he'd had a number of heavy conversations in the dark that, that, that <clears throat> Matthew didn't know about. All Matthew knew about was 
the payoff at the end. And, and so that's all he put in there. That's kind of obvious cause. And then he asked the question, why are you willing to guilty? Mm-hmm. So, he, yeah, I agree with so that. they've already talked. You know, he, he, know, he knows he's going to get paid off for this. So, so he takes the bribe. And so now there's a spy in the disciples. And he is actively, premeditatively working against Christ in order to turn him over to the priests. Okay, I think we've established that that verse means exactly what it says. Have you ever been mad at God? Jesus is mad at God. I've been mad at God. I'll admit it. I don't think I've been mad. I kind of, you know, you get disappointed sometimes. Like, oh, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm mad today, boy. You're kind with yourself. I have to go off of Lester <laughs> on that one. Yeah. I think, I think it's the same thing. Yeah, I think you might know. <laughs> it's the same thing. No, it's not. <laughs> I will embrace my anger. Anyway, um, embrace the dark I really have really been disappointed. I can't take any disappointment. I, I, I've talked to people more than my fair share who say they're atheists. That they don't believe there is a God. I got one in my house. And yet, they curse constantly. And not, and not just vulgarities. I'm not going to go through all the curse words. But specific theological curse words. They take God's name in vain. They, they send me to hell on regular basis, you know. But they say there is no God. But it's laced into their language. And I, I find that to be curious. Uh, the people that I know who are atheists, and I'm doing those little air quotes for the people online, uh, tend to be really angry. But if you don't think there is a God, what is there to be angry at? Yeah. Why shouldn't you be completely relaxed in your knowledge that there is only your version of nature? You know, I mean, there's nothing to be angry about with true atheism. And I think what atheism is, for the most part, I'm not going to say it doesn't exist in, in, in its purity, but I think what you have are people that believe there's a God, but they're ticked off at God, and so they deny him. It's not saying that God doesn't exist. They're denying the God that does exist. It's a spit in the eye of God. Yes. And, and oh my gosh, Andrew is pulling books out. He just carries a library around so we can yeah. flash the titles. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Andrew is showing me titles. The Coherence of Theism by Swineborn, The Existence of God, and Christian Philosophy A to Z. Why are you showing me this? Oh, I thought it might be an interesting book to show you. Oh, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. It gets into is there a segment in there about people denying God and, and atheists actually uh, being God-haters? Because uh, that was my point. Yeah. Probably not exactly that, but kind of like... The anger of God or something like that. Maybe relating to the problem yeah. of evil, perhaps. Okay. Well, like, this book talks about this. And you should, like, quote from me. Quote, quote, to, to the point and not just flash the titles of the... You don't have to carry the books around. You can just, you know, have the references ready. Quote. Hmm. Yeah, what a thought. Okay. Yeah, not a bad um, Okay. 
30 pieces of silver. Okay, I, th I think we're good there, right? Did we yeah. get all that? Actually, yeah. I do thought of a quote. Uh, it was written by uh, Thomas Nagel, who's an atheist philosopher, who did said something along the lines of, I, I hope, I don't, I, <clears throat> sorry, I don't, I am, I am an atheist because uh, I don't, <clears throat> sorry, good lord, I'm having a brain fart at the moment, but it's basically something along the lines of, hey, I, the reason I'm an atheist, I don't want there to be a God is because I don't want there to be a God, I don't want the universe to be like that, and all that stuff, right. basically. They always have somebody accountable. Or heck, even Richard Dawkins. <coughs> so yeah, the ultimate atheist. Yeah, like the most well-known atheist even said on an interview, asked the questions of along the lines of, hey, what would it take to convince you that God exists? And say, oh, I don't think anything will convince me at all. And he did some thought experiment about like if there was a sky, like a big giant voice in the sky saying to everyone, I am God or something <coughs> like that. Say, oh, I bet there's some naturalistic explanation. Basically, mm -hmm. he's literally admitting that uh, – Nothing will convince them, and right. they'll try to use every excuse in the book. If you convince somebody that there's a God, they ain't that God. Well, they don't want to believe that. Yeah, exactly. He it's not a fair fight because they've chosen to not mm -hmm. embrace that idea. Man, good Lord, I, I was having a brain fart for a moment, too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. On that charming note, um, verse 17 through 30 is the Lord's Supper, where all kinds of stuff happens. On the first day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So they're making, they're making plans. He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So Christ has already made arrangements so he's already talked to this man we we booked a room so the disciples did as jesus had directed him and appeared and prepared the passover when Edom came jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 and while they were eating he said i tell you the truth one of you will betray me they were very sad and began to say to him one after the other surely surely not i lord jesus replied the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The man of God will go just as it is written about him, and woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. According to Matthew. Mm -hmm. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from, from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Okay. I think Matthew is capturing just the points that are important to his Jewish audience. This was obviously a long dinner and lots of people said things at the dinner. And we have other pictures of this dinner in other gospels where other things happen. So 
for Matthew's purposes, he is showing that Christ calls out Judas, and then he basically initiates the first Lord's Supper. He initiates communion. And so he, they all eat of Christ's flesh and blood as part of this dinner because they are about to go out as his representatives. And so they, they're, they're going to be his proxies in the world, if that makes any sense. Uh, in Luke, uh, it says that Judas left the table after dipping his bread in Christ's wine. And I find that whole segment to be a little uh, if I'm sitting here at this table and I say, the one of you that dipped bread in my cup is the traitor, well, everybody at the table is going to look at the guy that's the traitor, right? I mean, didn't he just tell you who that was? But they, but they don't do that. That's not what happens. So there's more to that picture than, than what we're seeing. We're not seeing everything that happened at the dinner. And I'm wondering, did everybody dip their bread in the cup? I mean, did that? Did we all have a bread dipping thing beforehand? Everyone's going, is it I? Why are they saying, is it I? Are we so self-conscious and so unsure of our own salvation? They said it after they dipped the bread. I think they'd all dip the bread. That's, all That's my interpretation. And then he says afterwards, right. The, the one who dipped his bread in my cup is, is a traitor, and everybody there is going, uh-oh. With wide, you know, they're looking at their bread with wide eye. Wait a minute, what? And so everybody's going, wait, wait is, it, is it me? You know, Peter and John are going, wait, am I the traitor? No, I'm not. I think it, they know what it said, though. You don't think they heard it? He's, they said, he said, the one who dipped their bread with me. At the same time. Yeah. The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. But they're still unconfused. Why don't they go say, Judas, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Why didn't they say that? But they didn't. The Son of Man will will go just as it was written about him, and woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him to be. See, we're, we're, we're talking about the traitor and how bad being the traitor is, and they're still confused. Surely it's not me. Like, no, sir, I will never betray you. What you never. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, you got more kids and they get in trouble. You ask them, which one did it? And the one who did it speeds up first. Yeah. It's kind of like this. Uh, yeah, interesting. Jesus says, it wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> so the guilty speeds up first. And according to Matthew, <laughs> Jesus looks straight at Judas and says, yes, it is you. But see, the thing is, Judas already knew it was him. He wasn't telling Judas nothing. But Jesus wanted to know that he knew. Yeah, he said, yeah. it's kind of like, uh, I know what you got to. It's kind of like the typical, you know, you get in trouble, your parents said, oh, I know what you did. You can't hide it from me. Right. Yeah. Um, like, in, in Luke, Judas is not present for the... the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And so, Judas doesn't take part in that communion with Christ. Right. So, he leaves at the end. Right. So he, he leaves before this. 
And I think that's significant too, because these are all committed men, and this is Christ basically anointing them for what's coming in the future. And so Judas is not part of that when they do that. And then they, they, they sing him and then they depart. So again, Matthew is showing how kingly he is. He, he is aware of who the betrayers are and he's ordering people around. Christ is in charge this whole time. There's not, it's not like he is caught up in a series of events that he can't control. He's in control. And the Jews are trying to have him executed at a particular time. He's in control of that too. You know, uh, the whole thing is, is well within his, his, his hands. Okay. Um, now we're talking about Peter's denials foretold. Uh, that's next. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. okay, verse 31 uh, through 35. When Jesus told him, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, you will all, all, all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter, so he told him where he's going to go after he comes back to life. This is where you can look for me when you finally get that word and you're suddenly surprised by it. <clears throat> so Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. That's what they all say. That's Peter for you. Yeah. And so Christ crushes him. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night after the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. It is so easy to commit when you're looking in people's eyes. You know, because you want to do the right thing. It's hard to say, oh no, I'm going to betray you tomorrow because I really don't care about you that much. Or say, honesty is so rough. You know what I'm saying? Because anyway. So, so Peter, okay, remember that Peter is the oldest of the disciples. And in Jewish tradition, the oldest of a group does all the talking. So if you're talking to your four sons, the oldest one is representing the other three. And you're carrying a conversation with the oldest one. But if so, and if Junior wants something to be said in the conversation to Dad, he's going to poke his big brother and go, tell him about so-and-so. You know, the oldest is the representative. That's so, scary. It, well, it's true. And, and if you look through the Gospels, Peter's doing all the talking. Well, okay, I would love to pick on Peter for being the wishy-washy guy that he kind of is. But he's also voicing the concerns of the rest of the disciples. He's really not alone in this. There, the, uh, other disciples are sharing the same problems. But... Peter is the leader of the group, and so he's the one that gets to do that. So he says, all of you are going to fall away. I don't think Peter was the only one that was indignant about that. I don't think Peter was the only one that would go, I ain't falling away. Yeah. You know, Thomas and Andrew are sitting back there going, you know, I, not neither. I'm tough. <laughs> you know? I'm like the body. And so, but, but Peter voices, and he says, we're not, we will die for you. And Christ rolls his eyes. Oh, wait, that's not in Scripture, but I'm pretty sure he did. And uh, he says, you know, you're, you're going to deny me three times before this night is over with. 
and, and that's just you know that 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 that's beyond Peter's conception. He's he is absolutely certain that he is going to be Mr. Tough Guy, committing himself to, to death. And before the night is over, he's going to deny Christ three times. That's that's a lot, you know. And so Peter is kind of he doesn't say he's shamed, but basically uh, Christ has kind of set him up for it. Now we get to the crux of the matter. They leave the uh, supper and they go out into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a kind of a public garden area. And he goes out to pray, which is what Christ does habitually anyway in the evenings. And so uh, when Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So Christ is very troubled in his prayer, and uh, he, tell, he, he needs to go off by himself. He prayed with them, and he goes by himself. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. I think it's interesting that Christ was completely alone when he said that. How does Matthew know that that's what he said? Who knows? Probably he overheard. I'm staring at Andrew, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say, like... <laughs> I don't know. He went off on that. Maybe, maybe so. Then or, he, or what? what? Or maybe like he was like watching at a distance before he fell asleep. I was just thinking they about were they were reading his lips before they fell asleep. Uh, Again, I was trying to think of certain possibilities. Don't Ron doesn't buy that. Ron doesn't think that that's a yeah. good answer. No, <laughs> how <laughs> dare you? Okay. Anyway, well, I thought well there it is. So Matthew said it, so it must be true. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. So they weren't reading his lips. Oh, man. I was drawn. And Christ is heartbroken. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? Just one hour. It's kind of like you had one job. One job. Uh, lost my place. And he asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Because he knows that Peter is going to be tempted. And the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Who heard him say that? When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them sleeping and went away once more. And he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Did anybody see him do that? He came back, everyone was asleep, and then he left. Well, well, how does Matthew know that that happened? Then he turned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So Christ sees these soldiers coming into the park, and he has to wake his disciples up so that they will be awake for the show.
about six minutes. Can I get through the rest of this? I think you can. You think? Only if I rush. Yeah. So, you don't have to talk fast. Christ is arrested. <laughs> he got talk fast. Does he? He does. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him with a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer has arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him the way you kiss a teacher in fear of Jew and ancient Israel. Um, Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. Friend. He called Judas friend. Isn't that nice? Oh. Then, then the men stepped forward, seized Judas, and arrested him. With that, one of the Jesus' companions reached for a sword and drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And Christ said, put your sword back in its place. Jesus <coughs> said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call in my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say that I, it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, crowd, I am leading a rebellion that you have come out with sword. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this all has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. <clears throat> what would you think if you was a guard <clears throat> and you came to arrest somebody for a false prophet? Somebody cut your ear off and the false prophet put it back on there. That would give me some pause. It follows up. It sure this, would. This, this guy really say who he is. <laughs> Um, uh, these weren't the Roman guards. These are the temple guards. Yes. So these are Jewish guards that work for Caiaphas, the high priest. He's got his own little security team that work the doors for all the people bringing money into the temple. It requires control because of all the thieves that they literally hire to change money for them. Yeah. Uh, so... That he has his own thugs, and uh, it's, it's like a private security force. Let's think of it that way. And so Caiaphas has come with this security force, and they've come at night in the park after Passover because they don't want a public showing. They want this to go away quietly. They arrest him at night so that nobody. He just disappears one day. We don't want, you know, a, a big show. It's basically keep it on the down low. Yes, which is why this is happening now. And Peter, who has been asleep, jumps up and chops off a guy's ear. Peter has been waiting for the rebellion for all this time. Finally, 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 Christ is going up against the temple guards and ah, he hacked somebody. Yeah. 
I'm surprised he got that close to the temple guards. The temple guard is a guard. I mean, he's armed. He's there to violently control things. And, and Peter got yeah. it a shot and took his ear off. I'm surprised, especially they go Peter. should have been trained in combat, and yet here's this lowly peasant or something. Well, that's, that's right. Well, he was asleep. I, didn't, I thought he was asleep. Right, right. So he wakes up from sleep and manages to get the drop on a guard. I, you, you got to give Peter some manly props here, you know. Okay, however, that was the wrong approach. And Christ does not want violence. He is prepared to be arrested. And he heals the, 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 the servant, the, the guard. I, think, I wonder if he was actually a slave in the temple. Because a servant is also often slave. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so he, he, he heals, and then he, he uh, tells Peter to put his sword away. And so Peter puts his sword away, once again, for the millionth time, chastised by Christ. And then he runs for it because he just attacked a guard and now he realizes that he's lost because Christ isn't resisting. What happens next for Peter? Peter is about to be arrested, right? Mm -hmm. So he runs because now he's wanted. In his head, he's a wanted man. He just attacked this guard and and they're not going to put up with that. So I think that feeds his fear. Suddenly, not only is he going to betray Christ, but he's, he's... afraid for his life because Christ isn't behaving the way he wants him to behave. Isn't it funny? Isn't it interesting that we, we, we want God to be something and that we, we cast him in our own image? We do that. I do that. Maybe you don't. Uh, so, all the disciples desert and they take Christ prisoner. So, verse 57, and we're going to stop. Oh, my word, that's long. Yeah, that's 75 verses. I don't have time. No. Okay, I'm putting a big line just above verse 57. Verse 57. I knew we weren't going to make it through this chapter. It's, it's massive. Yeah, it's long. And we will tackle 57 and uh, from there, and then we will probably go on to uh, chapter 27 and, and cover the rest of Judas and Pilate next week. So thank you very much, and... Uh, This is chapter by chapter signing off.